1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 to 28. Before we go to the Lord, uh, before we hear from the Lord, let's go to him in prayer and ask his blessing upon the reading and the hearing of his word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you and praise you this morning. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. We ask, dear God, that you would let the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. We confess that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from your mouth. And so we ask, dear Lord, give us a great appetite for this, your word, that it may nourish our souls this morning in the ways of eternal life for your glory. We ask all these things through the bread of heaven, Jesus Christ himself, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. First Corinthians 14, starting at verse 1. Please give your full attention. This is the Lord's word. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you to be I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, I have come, if I come to you speaking in a tongue, how will I benefit you unless I bring someone uh, some revelation or knowledge? or prophecy, or teaching. If even lifeless instruments, such as a flute or a harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if a bugle gives an indistinct sound, how will we get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world. And none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to speak to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say, Amen, to your thanksgiving, when he does not know what you are saying? For you may, bring, uh, you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to the people. And even they will not, will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. 
If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in a tongue, an outsider or unbeliever enters, will it not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and all and an unbeliever, an outsider comes, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there, only, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to no one that speak to himself and to God. So for the reading of God's word, um, as we look at this text, it's interesting. I thought I was reminded of that, that time in seminary when we first get there. And um, regardless of your theological background or position on this text, um, all new young seminary students pray for the gift of tongues when they study Greek uh, and Hebrew. Um, very difficult task. Regardless of your theology, many of us desire that gift of tongues. Um, I say tongue-in-cheek. Uh, but anyone who has studied another language um, uh, understands this. If they're studying a language, it's not in their native tongue. They know that it's a difficult task. There are no shortcuts uh, regarding language learning. Um, it is simply difficult. It requires very, very hard concentration and study. Um, and so in spite of our desire... Uh, we had to just study, and study we did. Uh, we come this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, um, and it is difficult to understand because it's talking about something that we never experienced personally. Um, remember, re- reading the epistles sometimes, reading, first, reading the Corinthian letters in particular, it's kind of like listening to one side of a phone, phone conversation because there was other correspondence that we don't have, that the Lord in his... Uh, Providence decided not to uh, have us handed down to us. But it's talking, chapter 14 is talking about tongues, about prophecy, and the interpretation of tongues. Uh, These are gifts which are no longer in effect in the church. Uh, These gifts, prophecy, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues have ceased. Um, And I hope to be able to show you that uh, this morning. Uh, So we, we have not nor cannot experience what Paul is talking about directly here as he writes this, his letter, answering this question of a problem uh, for the Corinthian church. And that being the case, oftentimes people assume that because these gifts of uh, the Spirit are no longer present in the church, they assume that this chapter, chapter 14, uh, doesn't have any meaning or relevance to us. It's like an appendix in the body, right? Chapter 14 has no real reason for being there. But that's not entirely the case. Uh, It is true that these revelational gifts, prophecy, tongues, interpretation, are no longer operative in the church today, in Christ's church. Um, We shouldn't try to teach or to desire or to hold out as a promise the spiritual gifts of tongues and prophecy and interpretation. Those gifts were for a particular time, for a particular epoch in history. And that has gone away, that has passed. But nevertheless... There is a significant aspect in this chapter that has direct uh, uh, relevant for us today in the year 2020. And that aspect uh, or principle is this. It is instructive for us 
um, this chapter. Um, nevertheless, it shows us how we are to use the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are still in operation today. Right? It shows us how to use the gifts that are in operation in Christ's church. And that thing, that principle, is the principle of edification. Uh, that's the point or the punch or the principle that we are to draw from this chapter regarding spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit, uh, as I say, say very often, doesn't give us filler in his word. Right? You know how sometimes you're writing school papers and they have to be a, a designated length and we sometimes fluff them up and put filler in there to extend the length. The Holy Spirit in, it, in his inspiration of the word did not do that. There's no filler in God's word. Chapter 14 has a reason and it is for us to draw out what that reason is. Uh, we can explain the principle from chapter 14 in this way. Um, whatever we do in the body should edify the body. Right? Whatever we do in the body in Christ's church should build up Christ's church. Whatsoever things we do in church in the body of Christ, they should build up or edify the brothers and sisters in the church. Right? That's why I entitled this sermon uh, Bodybuilding. Right? It's not a reference to Arnold Schwarzenegger or Lou Ferrigno. Um, but to the body of Christ, bodybuilding, building up the body of Christ. Because that's the point that Paul is making in the application that we draw from this chapter. Bodybuilding, right? Not muscle men, but building the body of Christ. Uh, you and I, all of us together. And when we come together, brothers and sisters, and we assemble as a congregation, we are to use our gifting, whatever it is, for bodybuilding, for edifying, for encouraging and build, building one another up. And whatever does not build or edify the body of Christ should not be done in church. Simple principle. Uh, look at verse 12 of chapter 14, if you would. He says, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the, period, of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Right? Body building. He says, since you are eager, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, and this, here again we get an insight into the Corinthians, right? He says they were eager for demonstrations of the Spirit. They were obsessed with spiritual gifts, as we've seen again and again and again. And that being the case, Paul says, strive to excel in building up the church. Strive, seek, long for that gift. That gift which will build up the church. And that's the principle, right? Building up the body, bodybuilding, edification, building up the church of Christ. And look at uh, verse 26. Paul, Paul gives the same principle. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, interpretation. And then he says, let all things be done for building up. Right, for building up. Uh, and there it is. Right? Let all things be done for edification. Right, and that's the principle that we draw from this. Whatever you do in church should be done for the purpose of building up your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And if we get that, if we understand and grasp that and remember that, that that's the point, the main point of the text, it will help us as we work through the rest of the chapter that can be uh, quite confusing. Uh, building up the body, right? mature edification. Paul takes and he applies that to the specific problem that, uh, in the Corinthian church that they were facing. Remember, the church was obsessed with the gift of tongues. That was the valuable gift in their eyes. That was the important one. It was more than other gifts. And they assumed that those who possessed the gift of speaking in tongues were better than others. 
They were superior to people who could not speak in tongues. Right? And if we back up and acknowledge that this can be a confusing topic, uh, speaking in tongues, uh, and we remember this principle that will help us understand what's going on. Right? I've already made some claims um, uh, right at the outset that others dispute. Right? And this is perhaps one of the more difficult chapters, as I said, uh, to nail down 1 Corinthians. Again, it's this, this, this phenomena of uh, listening to one side of a telephone conversation. But it's not confusing. We're not um, uh, critical. We're not critics. Uh, uh, God gave us his word, and we can know what it says and understand that. And there are various views regarding what Paul is talking about, uh, what the Bible means when it speaks of speaking in tongues. We have to recognize that the whole structure of this chapter, as you've just heard it, is, uh, is a deliberate contrast between prophecy and tongues speaking. And of course, we don't have time this morning to look at, uh, to unfold all the different theories and the different um, views of this speaking in tongues and the history of those theories regarding this gift. Uh, but simply put, it's the word that we get our English word gloss from. Like glossary, right? Is a, uh, that's the word in Greek. It's glossa. Uh, it means tongue or language or dialect or speech. Later in verse 21, uh, the chapter says this. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues, right? And by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Strange tongues there is a word that you all would recognize, <clears throat> It's a combination of two words, uh, heteros, right, difference, uh, and glossos, which is hetero, different tongue, right, different tongues, um, strange tongues, it says. And I believe I pointed out some time ago, the gifts of tongues had to do with speaking in foreign languages. Right here in chapter 14, and previously in Acts chapter 2, is where we find in Scripture the most uh, full discussion or description of speaking in tongues. Um, I'd like to discuss this topic perhaps in, a, in the Sunday school hour in the future because there is rich material here. But for now, remember that in the book of Acts, recall, in chapter 2, was the day of Pentecost. Right? This is the birthday of the church. Right? Uh, the, the, the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues and in other languages, foreign languages, languages they had never heard, uh, learned. And they were miraculously and instantly empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak in a foreign language. Right? Acts chapter 2, verse 4 says this. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and as a result, they began to speak in other languages. And notice it says, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Right? It, it's Spirit-driven uh, the Holy Spirit gave them utterance or gave them the ability to speak out. Um, I think the New American Standard translates that word. God the Holy Spirit gave them words to say. And the words that they spoke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit did not originate in their own minds, but with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit spoke under, uh, they spoke rather, under the direct impulse and inspiration of God the Holy Spirit. The speaking in tongues was Spirit-inspired speech. And the gift of tongues in Acts 2 is the same gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians 14. Both of those chapters are talking about human languages 
that were understood by people who knew those languages. And this point needs to be stressed a little bit because uh, our charismatic friends uh, teach something different. If you know anything about the charismatic or Pentecostal theology, uh, it is their view that the gift of tongues discussed in Acts, uh, Acts 2 is different from the tongues speaking in 1 Corinthians 14. Indeed, the Pentecostals and the Charismatics believe that Acts 2 is talking about real human languages, but in 1 Corinthians, it's talking about a heavenly or angelic language. Uh, no human languages, they say, but we would disagree with that. 1 Corinthians, like Acts, is referring to human languages that could be understood by people who knew and spoke those languages. And this is clear, of course, in our chapter this morning, 14, verses, starting at verse 10, right, right there, verse 10, Paul says, There are doubtless many different languages in the world, languages of man, human languages. He says, and none is without meaning. Right? You see that in verse 10? Then he goes on, but if I do not know the meaning of the language, the human language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. And so in verses 12 and 13, he says, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. See, Paul here is telling them that if by the Holy Spirit you're speaking in a language that is known to some people in the world but unknown to me, then I would be a foreigner. I cannot understand what is being said. And therefore, I could derive no benefit from it. There's no building up of the church without that interpretation, without that revelation. And so if a person has the gift of tongues and they could speak in one of those many foreign languages in the world, they should pray for the gift of interpretation. That is the complementary gift to tongues. I hope this is becoming clear. Uh, So that other people, right? Why is that? So other people who don't know the language could benefit from what is being said. So when the Holy Spirit enabled someone to speak in one of these foreign languages, the speaker didn't know what he was saying. And that is an interesting point. It's a point we have to get or understand if we're going to understand this chapter. For us to really see what what we're talking about, it's special revelation. It's indeed divine revelation. It's a case where words were coming from the speaker's mouth, but they didn't originate with the person, with the speaker. It didn't originate in his mind. They came from the Holy Spirit. He spoke as the Spirit gave him utterance, it says. He was speaking as the Holy Spirit gave him. He was under the direct inspiration of God the Holy Spirit. And because he didn't understand what it was being said, what he was saying, he could not interpret what was being said. And so, so Paul says what? Pray for the gift of interpretation. And that was another gift of the Spirit. Complementary, again, connected gift with tongues. Two gifts that complement one another. Both are spiritual gifts. Both are gifts of the Holy Spirit. Both of those gifts were uh, given by the Holy Spirit. Both supernatural gifts, enabling gifts, enabling the recipient to speak in a foreign language. And then the enablement by the Spirit to interpret the foreign language. Right? And you see where the bodybuilding comes in. Right? Uh, why that is critical here. When a person interpreted a message one of those foreign languages, <clears throat> it resulted in what? What is the result of these gifts? Right? It was prophesied. It was revelation from God. And that had the effect of building up the body, edifying the body. And there it is. You see, we need to keep in mind 
when we read about prophecy and tongues and the interpretation of tongues, they are different forms of what? Different forms of revelation from God. They're communications from God. God's speaking words directly through the mouth of the speaker. Prophecy, tongues, interpretation. They're different forms of special revelation. And notice how the gift of tongues, when it is supplemented with interpretation, it was just like prophecy. So our passage this morning is commending the gift of prophecy to the church because it built up the church. Again, the structure, notice that the whole chapter is distinguishing between these two. And one of them is greater. It's prophecy that's greater. Prophecy edified the church. It built up the church. Speaking in tongues without interpretation did not build up the church. Because no one could understand what was being said by the speaker. And so the key to understanding this passage is just that. If, 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 if that is understood, we see that the passage hammers this home. Uh, if you get it, then the passage makes sense. Prophecy edifies the church. Mere speaking in tongues did not. Bodybuilding by tongues alone did not happen. It must be accompanied by interpretation. And so when this passage talks about prophecy here, uh, it, it's, it, it's meant to speak words that were give, given directly by the Holy Spirit. And the prophet spoke as the mouthpiece of God, right? as the mouthpiece of God. And that's the reason why the word, uh, it, as we read it, it's often prefaced with the phrase, thus saith the Lord. Or the Holy Spirit says. Right? Everything that came after that was directly uh, from the mouth of God. He was speaking uh, the prophet as the mouthpiece of God, of the Lord. And so the prophecy meant to speak words that were given directly, miraculously by the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit expiring, breathing out words that came directly from the mouth of God. And we step back and we ask, well, what's the difference between those two gifts? Well, again, prophecy is speaking the word of God from a known language. Tongues, on the other hand, is speaking the word of God in a language that is unknown to the speaker. And that's it. That's the difference between the two gifts. Other than that, they are identical. They're both forms of divine special revelation. Now with that, let's turn back to our chapter once again, chapter 14. Um, And we see the apostle there is exhorting the the church in Corinthians, uh, uh, of Corinth, to do what? He's telling them to eagerly pursue love, to pursue love about all else. Right? He has just gone over this, uh, the hymn of love in chapter 13, pivotal to understanding this section, verses 12 to, uh, chapters 12 to 14. And he says this, the nature and the value of love is permanent, it is eternal, it is the ethic of heaven itself. And Paul encourages them to love, to pursue love above all else, because without love, the, holy, uh, the gifts of the Spirit are nothing. That was the point of chapter 13. Uh, the Corinthians were obsessed, again, with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but they neglected, they, feel, they failed to exercise love towards one another. And that's why Paul is rebuking them in chapter 13, indeed this whole section. And he tells them, above all of the spiritual gifts, seek after, earnestly desire, pursue love. And then in 14.1, we read that we are told to pursue particular gifts of the Holy Spirit, especially Bodybuilding gifts, the gifts that would edify and build up the body, not tear the body down into factions and divisions, right? Which is what they were doing. Their pursuits had the opposite effect of what they should have had, was tearing the body in two rather than building the body up. They were using their gifts 
for status rather than service. They created a two-tiered system, dividing those with the cool gifts, right, and those with the lame gifts. And if you didn't have the spectacular gifts, you were less in their eyes. And in verse 1 here, Paul tells them to pursue the gifts that would build up the body. Prophecy over tongues. Right? Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries of the Spirit. Right? You see the contrast there, and it's carried through the chapter. As we've noticed, these two are very closely related. Prophecy is a gift that should be uh, desired. They should be desiring prophecy because it had the, the bodybuilding benefit, right? It built up the body. Words to understand, to edify. But tongues without interpretation only edified the member, right? Not the whole body. And this would have been staggering to the Corinthians. This would have been uh, abrupt for them, as Paul tells them. Not tongues, prophecy. Because they had prioritized the gift of tongues as the ultimate gift. And those who had that gift were the spiritual superstars. But what's wrong with that? Are we to have superstar saints in the church of Christ? Jesus alone is our superstar, Savior, King, and Lord. And pitting the saints against one another is repugnant to God. It is gross in the body of Christ separating two tears Paul's not demeaning the gift of tongues he's merely putting tongues in its place which is not the top tier because without the interpreter it, it does no one any it does no good tongues is not the a1 first priority gift right notice again he says pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy Prophecy, again, to speak words directly given by inspiration or expiration, breathed out by God through the person of the Holy Spirit working. Right? And some have tried to equate, you may have heard this, preaching and prophesying. Right? Indeed, there's a famous, a very well-known book by um, uh, the Puritan William of Perkins called The Art of Prophesying. He's talking about preaching. Prophesying and preaching are not the same thing. Paul's not talking about preaching here. This is not a reference to preaching. Rather, Paul's talking about what? The supernatural gift of divine special revelation. And those two, prophesying and preaching, are not identical to, the, uh, to, to each other, though there are some similarities. They're not identical. When both prophecy was given and preaching takes place, it is what? It is the word of God that is proclaimed. In both instances, the prophet and the preacher, they're speakers, they're the mouthpiece of God. It is a word of God that is spoken. And the voice of God is heard in both the prophet and in the preacher. But prophecy is not the delivery of a carefully planned sermon. They are different. Prophecy is speaking under the direct impulse and inspiration miraculously given by the Holy Spirit. The preacher is different from the prophet, right? What's the difference? Well, the preacher is not divinely inspired. Anyone today who claims to be so is a false teacher or a false prophet. And if you find yourself in a place 
where that suggestion is made that the speaker is a prophet, divinely inspired, you should get up and leave that place because he is not. He is a false teacher. He's a false prophet. The preacher, unlike the prophet, is not divinely inspired. He isn't giving God's people a new revelation from the Lord. That's what the prophet did in that time period when he prophesied. That's not what the preacher is doing. I think, well, uh, our instincts, we know the difference between these two. The preacher does what? He takes a passage of scripture and he studies it and he prays and he expounds that text to the people of God. He doesn't receive a message directly from God. The message he receives is here in the Bible. He hears from God in God's completed word, the canon of scripture, the old and new covenants. The preacher doesn't get a new word from the Lord. And again, if you hear that claim, get up and leave. Not a a healthy place. The preacher deals with the Holy Scriptures. That is what the preacher proclaims. The preacher's job is to proclaim the written word of God. And so these are different. There's similarities, but they're different. Prophecy and preaching. But the effects can be identical. Right? We believe that God works through his word. He works through the preached word. He works through faithful preaching of that word that he's given us. It is not a dead letter. It's not a, not a dusty book. It contains the word of life. It is sharp. It is active. Able to cut through bone and marrow. Piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit. Of both joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of man. Spirit working through his word. That is what the preacher is called to proclaim. It is what he must proclaim. Must proclaim. If he's not, he's not doing his job. The written word of God. When we look at the history of the church, and we look at the great Protestant Reformation, the reformers restored the word to its rightful place. They trusted the spirit working through the word so much, and they placed the highest value on the ministry of the word. Right? Not the minister of the word, but the ministry of the word. And they held in such high esteem. They said that when a word is faithfully preached, then the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. It is the word of God. But it is, of course, derived. Uh, is it a derived sense? But it is no less the word of God in an actual sense. One of the great confessions of the Reformation historically is the Second Helvetic Confession, the Second Helvetic Confession, 1566 around, I believe, and it says uh, in in there in the Confession of the Word of God, the chapter it says, the preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God, right? It's the Spirit working through this Word. That is why historically the most Presbyterian ministers and Reformed ministers would wear a Genevan gown when they preached, when they entered the pulpit. They would have the the, the Genevan gown when they ministered the word and sacrament. And some people think that was a way of exalting the man. But far from it, it the practice was to hide the man and exalt the ministry of the word. The man is not important in this situation. The man is not important. The word is imperative. We all know the well-known story in Numbers. Uh, God can make a donkey talk. He can use the donkey. He can use donkeys of men to preach as well. Anything that the minister does is der- derivative. It comes not from himself. 
And again, if we ever find ourselves sitting under someone who isn't comfortable being invisible and isn't comfortable pointing away from himself to Christ, you should take pause. I was speaking with some older pastors recently at the Presbytery meeting, and they were talking about qualifications uh, for the minister and qualifications for elder in the church. And one of them commented that one of the main and most important qualifications is for the man to recognize that he is not qualified. That's one of the main qualifications. I thought that was wise observation to recognize that he's not qualified, that he doesn't want the office because he feels inadequate for the role. That's a good qualification. Those are wise observations from seasoned uh, godly men. The word of God from the preacher is derived. Right? It's derived. For the prophet, he spoke the word in a non-derived manner. It was the Lord speaking through the prophet. The prophet gave a word from God directly. The preacher does not do that. The prophet spoke directly from God to the people. But the preacher has to take a text of scripture with a chapter and a verse and expound that word of God for God's people. When he does that faithfully, the feast that he prepares for the people is the word of God. Preaching is second-hand nature. It's non-inspired. And that, by the way, is the only kind of preaching we'll ever hear in our day. And this non-inspired, second-hand nature of preaching does not alter the nature of the Word as the Word of God. What Paul is talking about here is the gift of prophecy. Now look at verse 2 and see how he goes on to say that a person who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. He utters mysteries, he says in the Spirit. Notice again that tongue speaking is a form of divine revelation, right? It says the one who speaks in tongues utters mysteries of the Spirit. It is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the tongue speaker speaks mysteries. And when we read of mysteries in the New Testament, that word is used for new, special revelation. Something that was hidden in the past is now revealed. That person utters mysteries in the Spirit. Verse 3 says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Right? And notice here, this is important as well, well this is misunderstood. Paul there is not in verse 3 defining what prophecy is. What he's doing is giving the resultive effect of, of a prophecy. Right? If Paul here in verse 3 were defining prophecy, it would be nothing more than a motivational speech. But that's not what Paul's doing. He's not defining the term prophecy. What Paul's doing is describing the effects of the gift, the gift of prophecy. Prophecy has the effect of edifying, of encouraging, of consolation, of comforting God's people. And this is the very thing that Paul's giving the church there to do in Corinth. Seek after this gift, prophecy, because it is the effect that this is the effect that will have. On the congregation. It is a bodybuilding gift. Bodybuilding. And he kind of, the contrast continues in verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you to all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy, right? It's distinguishing, it's contrasting the two. The one who prophesies, he says in verse 5, is greater than the one who speaks in a tongue, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. 
once we grasp the concept and the point of this passage, uh, we see it again and again and again, Paul mentions it. And then Paul, in verse 6, he gives himself as an example, as a hypothetical example. And he says, now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in a tongue, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Right? He won't. Without an interpreter, there's no benefit from speaking in tongues. And so Paul uses himself as an example of what he would not do. Right? That's, that's it. He says, if he were to go back to Corinth, it, and he would go back speaking a language they could not understand, they would have no benefit. He's using himself as an example to encourage them regarding what they're supposed to do when they assemble for worship. They shouldn't speak in tongues. It's not helping the body when they do that. Not helping anyone unless there's an interpreter. Paul goes on to illustrate the teaching from examples of day-to-day life in his day. He uses examples of wind instruments and stringed instruments right there in verse 7. You see, if a lifeless instrument, such as a flute or a harp, does not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? This is like speaking in an unknown language that no one understands. And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound in verse 8, he says, who will get ready for the battle? He moves on to this military uh, illustration, the use of a bugle. If a camp needed to communicate or assemble or to move, join with another camp, and the bugle gives an indistinct sound, what use is it? No use. It's actually confusion. And the point, again, is hearing without understanding benefits helps no one. And he moves to the Corinthians in their lives. He says, if you utter speech that is unintelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. Interesting, he says in verse 10, there are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner. The word there is where we get barbarian from. I will be a, a barbarian. A foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a barbarian to me. And so with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the, of the Spirit, dear Corinthians, strive to excel in building up the church. That's the point. It's not status, it's service. And therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. And Paul's talking about the important component of the mind. Right? This, is, this is critical for us. Right? We are people of the book. We don't disengage our mind. We don't leave our, leave our minds at the church doorstep when we come in. We aren't uh, people, because God doesn't want us to be, people who disengage our minds. Our minds are grounded in the truth, right? And our hearts are fat as a result. We are, de- we are delighted in our hearts and in our spirits when we are grounded in God's truth. They work together. He says, I will pray with my spirit, but also with my mind. Now we'll sing praise with my spirit, but also with my mind. This is very important and contrary to much teaching uh, in our day. Well, for centuries, actually. We are never to divorce the two. God gave us both, a mind and a heart. May we always, brothers and sisters, be people with big heads and big hearts. Anything less is out of balance. Those are the stereotypes of the 
uh, the family tree of Christianity, right? The charismatics have a big heart and a little head, and the reformed have a big head and a little heart. May we never be people uh, such. May we be people with big minds and big hearts, loving, humble, serving. The point is the service to the building up of the body of Christ. This is important to the Lord. He wrote much about it here. It should be important to us. <clears throat> and he mentions the important, importance of our witness to the outside world, the stranger who comes by. Tongues uninterrupted, I'm sorry, un- uninterpreted, are of no help to the body or an outsider. And in verse 16 he says, and then once more in verse 19, Paul repeats, nevertheless, in church I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. If, if that tongue is uninterpreted. It doesn't edify the church, Paul says, so don't do it. And then he says, let all things be done for building up. And if any speak in a tongue, limit it to two, two or perhaps three at the most, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. Right, and we'll go on next week and we'll see the, uh, that Presbyterian verse, let all things be done decently and in order. Um, but he's building up to that. That's the point. Someone needs to interpret for it to make sense. If there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent, he says. Speak to himself and to God, because it's not going to profit anyone else. And again, that's the point of the text, right? These gifts of the Spirit belong to a different age, to the foundation-laying stage of the church. Ephesians 2.20 tells us this has been laid by the apostles and prophets, with Christ as the chief cornerstone. The foundation has been laid already. We aren't to try to lay it again. They belong to a special uh, era in history, in redemptive history. And they can't be repeated any more than the resurrection can be repeated. Also, special revelation ceased with the accomplishment of redemption. We need, we need to recognize this when we're reading scripture. Special revelation has come to culmination as far as the accomplishment goes, special revelation ran concurrent with redemptive history. And with the work of Jesus Christ, the complex of what he did, that redemptive history uh, is accomplished. Prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues have ceased because all those different forms of special revelation which have ceased and are no longer gifts functioning in the church. And... and this is important. To assert otherwise is to call into question the sufficiency of Scripture. Right? God has given us a sure word. And when we, people come along saying, well, I have a new word of the Lord, your response should be, what's the chapter and the verse? Because God has given us His word. All that is needed for life and godliness in His word is sufficient, it's complete, it is authoritative, it is inspired, it is necessary, it is sufficient. To assert that special revelation is still going on is to say that God has left his people with a deficient witness, with a deficient guide. That's not the testimony of Scripture. What's the testimony of Scripture about Scripture? It's that it is a more sure word. The sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It is profitable for teaching, for rebuke, reproof, correction, and for training to make competent 
and equipped for every good work. Right? We could go on and on. The Lord has given us all that we need. It is wonderful. It is glorious. Love your Bibles, brothers and sisters. Love the Word of God. Get into it. Get it into you. And I'll say it again. This book will keep you from sinning. And sinning will keep you from this book. Flee to the Lord. Go to His Word. Hide it in your heart. This means that any attempt or claim to new words or new revelation is an attack on the sufficiency of Scripture. It's an attack on the concept that God has provided all that we need. He's provided all through the Spirit working through this Word that He's given us. His most holy and perfect Word. We are in a better era because we have this Word. We have the completed canon of Scripture. But Paul in Corinth is promoting prophecy as a supreme gift of the Spirit. Different era. And he bring, uh, uh, this gift of the Spirit that brings a bodybuilding, edification for the body of Christ. We said up front that the gift of prophecy has ceased. It is no longer active. No new special revelation. The ramifications for asserting that. We also pointed out some similarities between prophecy and preaching. Right? They're not the same, but there are similarities between the two. <clears throat> In both prophecy and preaching, we have the word of God being proclaimed. With prophecy, it was direct. New revelation from God. But as with Timothy and all preachers uh, after him, preaching is the word of God written and expounded for the people of God. But notice something of a similarity as well, brothers and sisters. Uh, notice the effect on, on, from prophesying and from preaching is the same. It's the building up of the church. Edification of the church. And what, is more, what more than anything else edifies the body of Christ? It is the reading and the preaching of holy scriptures. As I said earlier, this is why, brothers and sisters, the word is so central to our corporate worship, so central to all that we do corporately as we come together and assemble as the body of Christ. The word preached is given the primacy because it is the word that edifies and builds up the church, the spirit working through that word. Again, it's not the minister of the word, but the word that is ministered, that the spirit uses to have his way with broken and twisted, weak feeble sinners like you and I. As we close, let's look at a few places where we see this in Scripture. Um, in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, we see something of this. <clears throat> we see that Paul tells the reader that when Christ ascended into heaven, he gave gifts to the church. He gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Right, this is uh, Ephesians 4 verse 11, verse 10 and 11. Right, he gave these gifts and some of those gifts are no longer in function in the church. They're no longer in the church. The apostles and the prophets in, in particular have ceased. They laid the foundation, the foundation laying stage, he says in, verse, in Ephesians 2.20. They were part of that laying of the foundation with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. 
But why is it that Jesus gave these gifts to the church? Why is it? It tells us there, if we keep reading, he gave these gifts to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For what? For the building up of the body of Christ. Right? These are gifts he gave to the church for that reason. Why did the Lord give pastors and teachers, ministers of the word to the church? For the purpose of bodybuilding. For the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. But rather, he says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. And notice that all of this description flows from those gifts of the uh, the ministry of the word, the preaching of the word, which comes at the beginning of the text. And and then turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll close with this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 16, speaking of the sacred scriptures, It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Right, And there we have it again. The Holy Scriptures, which are uh, expired, they're they're breathed out by God. They are profitable for what? For teaching, for correction, training in righteousness, and so on. These Scriptures must be preached so that the church may be reproved and rebuked when needed and exhorted and edified and built up as the Lord sees fit. As we do so, and God the Holy Spirit works through that word. And he has his perfect effect. It does not return void, right? And the bodybuilding will continue more and more and more until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, isn't it a marvelous and wonderful thing that our Father loved us so much that he gave us his only son to die in our place? And that he gave us in the spirit and in his word all that is needed for faith and life. What a marvelous, wonderful thing he has done. What an amazing father we have. What an amazing savior we have. These are but just some reasons why Presbyterians and Reformed churches historically have always placed such a priority on the ministry of the word in the corporate assembly of the church. Oh, how we love his word. It is a delight to our souls. And it is a supreme gift that God God uses to convict sinners. The spirit working through the word, read and preached and heard, to console and edify his people, his people that are precious to him. He did not leave us to grope around in the dark. He's given us his word. May he be praised above all. 
now, even unto glory.